Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Revelation 21, I'm really excited about this one because I had the opportunity, I want to say in the beginning of April, to do Revelation 1. And that kind of laid the foundation for the rest of the book. And now Revelation 21, it's almost at the end of the chapter. So we're going to see some of the, some of the end things. So um, we're going to pray and we're going to get into it. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your morning, Lord God. I want to thank you for this day, Lord, that you have made. Father, we will rejoice and be glad in it. So, Father, I pray that as we go through this chapter, Father, Revelation can be tough for some people, Lord God, and, and it can be confusing. But, Father, I pray that you would just you would just shed some light, Father. You would have you would give us new new revelations, <laughs> Father, lack of a, a pun, Lord, the, on your book. So, Father, we praise you for what you're doing in our lives. I pray for every one of my brothers and sisters on this call this morning, Lord God. Just be with us, Father, and just, just open up our eyes and our hearts to what you want to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go ahead. Give it a stretch. All right. Revelation 21, and I am reading from the New King James Version. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these things are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the, of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which which burns with fire and brimstone which is the second death verse nine then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and walked and talked with me saying come i will show you the bride the lamb's wife and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city the holy jerusalem descending out of heaven from god having the glory of god her light was like the, a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now, the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. 
and he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its walls, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. The construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chiropraise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Verse 22, but I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut all at all by day, there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter in anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. Amen. All right. Give it a stretch. All right. If you got it, get a sip. And we're going to get into it. So um, chapter 21 um, could be seen as the beginning of a new section of Revelation. If we, if we break up Revelation in kind of three, three sections, chapters 1 through 3 shows Jesus as the Lord of the churches. Chapters 4 through 20 is we see Jesus as the lion over the nations. Okay, And then now in 21 and 22, Jesus as the lamb among believers and setting up the, the, the final kingdom. And when it talks about a, a new heaven and a new earth, this isn't a new a new uh, uh, theme in the scriptures, all right? This is very familiar. Both the Old and the New Testament speak of a new heaven and a new earth. Isaiah 65 or 17 says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. And then going to the New Testament, 2 Peter 3.13 says, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness shall dwell. So it's this isn't uh, something just you know crazy that John was coming up with, right? This is a, this has been talked about throughout the scriptures. Now a new heaven and it doesn't mean a heaven. Uh, it doesn't. It's not talking about the heaven where God is enthroned. Okay, um, in the Bible, the word heaven is used three different ways. So when it talks about the first heaven, right? You're just talking about um, the Earth's atmosphere, the blue sky. Right. You look outside your window. If you've got a window where you're at, you see the sky, whether it's blue or not. That's the first heaven. OK, the second heaven is like outer space, the darkness. The night sky is the second heaven. Right. But the third heaven is the place where God lives in glory. OK, so you kind of got to be, you know, when you're reading some of the scriptures, you really got to try to um, uh, remember what it's talking about. When scripture speaks of a new heaven, it means a new blue sky and a new night sky. So new heaven is okay. This is all about, all, all talking about like the new earth, right? But it's not a new place where God dwells. Okay. The Greek word new, this is very important, um, means to, uh, new in character, right? It's fresh, right? It's brand new. It's not talking about an actual new thing. 
It's new in character. It doesn't mean recent or new in time. This isn't like this isn't like the next heaven and the next earth. Okay, this is a better heaven and a better earth. Look, picture it like this. Prior to coming to Christ, we were an old creature, right? But then when we became Christians and we accepted the Lord, and we allowed the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, we became a new creation. Amen. All right. We're still the same, but we're new. We've been transformed. Okay. Our character has been changed. We are, we are a, a fresh being because we've allowed the Holy Spirit to do a work in us. We've allowed God to, to control and run our lives and we follow him wholeheartedly. It's the same. It's the same, same sense. And it talks about the holy city in New Jerusalem. This is, this is the Jerusalem of hope that's talked about in, in Hebrews 12. This is the Jerusalem above as talked about in Galatians 4.26. This is a place, this is of our real citizenship. This is the place. Listen, I said this uh, many, uh, probably months ago on this soap. Like, we are citizens of heaven. We're just here temporarily. We are ambassadors to earth. Okay, we have been called here at this time, at this place, for such a time as this to, to bring the culture of heaven on earth. Okay, so this, when it's talking about the holy city, the new Jerusalem, this is where our real citizenship lies. Okay, the terms holy and new distinguish this city, makes it unique because it is holy and new and it's different from any earthly city. Okay. This isn't like New York or LA or Chicago. No, this is a new and holy, perfect city. The name, and, and, and by calling it the new Jerusalem, it gives it continuity with the earth. This glorious dwelling place of God and his people is described as a holy city, the perfect community of the people of God. We've never, we've never known this type of place. We, we have no idea exactly how it's going to be because we have never been in a place that had no sin. Adam and Eve, they had a brief experience with what this community would look like, of what this, 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 this land would look like when, it was, when there was no sin, right? But see, when, when, we, when we come to the new Jerusalem, this is going to be a place that's so unique, we have no, I'm telling you, it's one of those things that's beyond our comprehension. It's a sinless, pure community of righteousness, a true holy city set apart from any other city. It says the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them. See, Moses' tabernacle, right, represented the dwelling place of God on earth. When he would, when they would set up the tent, a tabernacle meeting, you know, I tell everyone in Cumberland County, we're setting up the tabernacle in Cumberland County every single weekend. We, we're, we're, we're setting up a place that represents where God dwells. When Moses, his tabernacle represented the presence of God. See, see, that was a past representation of the dwelling place of God. But this tabernacle that we're going to see in the new Jerusalem is going to be the reality of where God sits, the reality of where God dwells. This is the greatest glory of heaven, <clears throat> the ultimate restoration of what was lost in the fall, the ultimate restoration of what happened when sin came to came onto um, the earth. God's going to restore it, is going to make it new, and this is where we're going to dwell, and we're going to be able to dwell with our Father. Amen. Charles Spurgeon wrote, I do not think the glory of Eden 
lay in its grassy walks or in the bows bending with luscious fruit, but its glory lay in this, come on, that the Lord God walked in the garden in the cool of the day. Here was Adam's highest privilege, that he had companionship with the Most High. When the New Jerusalem is established, the relationship is going to be reestablished like what Adam had with God, where God would walk in the cool of the day, and he would walk with Adam, and he would talk with Adam, right? And we're going to be able to see this as a reality. Verse 4 says, the former things have passed away. The New Jerusalem is distinguished by but also not by just how it looks and everything. And we're going to kind of get into all that, but it's also distinguished by why it, but by what it doesn't have. All right. No tears, no sorrow, no pain, no death. It says God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Every tear, every tear is going to be wiped away. Tears of sadness, tears of bereavement, tears of sympathy, tears of, uh, of contrition, tears of disappointment, tears of yearning, tears of rage. Every tear will be wiped away. Come on. How many of us are dealing with hurts? How many of us are dealing with pains? How many of us recently had to have a good cry by something that's going on in our lives? Come on. I'm, I guess I'm the only one because I'm telling you, when we get to that place, when we get to that place, every tear will be wiped away. We will have no, we will have no, no more sorrow, no more sadness, because it says in verse five, I will make things new. Behold, I will make things new. This is the consummation of all of God's work, brothers and sisters. The renewal and redemption of his people having begun here, you know, right now. The work is being, is, has been begun here in our present time, and it's going to be fulfilled at the end times. Paul saw this, this transformation at work on this side of eternity. Paul could already see it happening. And Paul wrote almost 2,000 years ago. He could already see it coming. 2 Corinthians 4.16, he says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. He goes on in, verse, in chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone, in, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Come on, brothers and sisters. This newness, this, this being regenerated, isn't something that we have to wait for. It can happen. It can begin to happen on this side of eternity. We just have to allow the Holy Spirit to do a work in us. That's why this freedom ministry is so important because we come into church and we have so much junk. We have so many things that are weighing us down. We think with our finite beings that we have to do in order for God to do. But God is saying, no, come to me. I want to make you new. Behold, I make all things new. All we have to do is just raise our hands and surrender and say, Lord, do what you will. Lord, do a work in me. Lord, clean out the junk and make me a new creation. Amen. This is, this is a, a, a brief glance at the thinking behind God's eternal plan to allow, to allow sin and its destruction in order to do greater work of making things new. So, so we want to say like, God, why do you allow bad things to happen? God, you know, you know, why do you allow? Okay. We're not going to get into the theology of God allowing or not allowing, but we do know that through that, the word says he makes all, that, that all things work together for those who love the Lord. So we may be going through some bad times, brothers and sisters, but at the end, God will make you new. God will bring restoration into your lives. God will bring resurrection into your life. 
all things will become new. And then Jesus says, because this is Jesus speaking at this point. He says, it is done. It is done. He said something familiar on the cross when he said, it is finished. Now he's saying it is done. God's eternal purpose, God's eternal plan will be accomplished through Jesus. Ephesians 1.10 says that in the dispensation of the fullness of the time, he might gather together in, in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. At this point, all things have been resolved. All things have been summed up in Jesus. In Jesus, come on. He says, um, I will give of the foundation, fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Drinking and thirst are common pictures in the Bible of God's supply and man's spiritual need, right? Drinking is an action, but it's an action of receiving. Like faith, it's doing something, but it's not merit-based. It's allowing him to, 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 to give you water because we thirst to bring fulfillment. Well, verse eight, he goes on to say, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all the liars shall have their part in the lake, which burns with fire and brimstone. We're not going to get into all those different things, those different types of people, but the bottom line is those who reject Jesus and abandon all religious beliefs are specifically prohibited from entering the new Jerusalem. So when it says uh, the cowardly, is cowardice enough to, to send a person to hell? Well, he's not referring to being afraid, okay? That's not what this word cowardly means here. It's not talking about being afraid because we've all been afraid. We've all been scared of certain things. But this cowardice is someone who chooses self before God, who chooses self before Christ. Because listen, being a Christ follower is not always easy. Amen. It is not always easy. Sometimes we got to deal with some stuff, but it's the cowardly person who chooses self over persecution, who chooses self over following the Lord, because it's easier to live for yourself. It takes work to live for God. So if you choose yourself over the Lord, you are not allowed to enter the new Jerusalem. You will not enter the kingdom of heaven, right? If you choose anything else, anything else before Jesus, the word is saying you will not enter the kingdom of, of heaven. You will not enter the new Jerusalem and you will have your part in the lake with burns with fire and brimstone. Now that may be harsh, right? And you may think like, oh my God, how, how can you, how can you say that? I'm not saying it. The word is saying it right here. The holy living, you know, eternal word of God is saying this, right? And now it's going to talk about the bride, the bride of Christ. I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife, the holy city of Jerusalem, right? And it's called the bride because it, 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 is, it is the place where God's people are gathered. We will be gathered to the new Jerusalem. So we will be part of the bride. We're already part of the bride, but new, the new Jerusalem represents the bride and, and, it says her light was like a most precious stone. John's, John, when he was writing this, was, was first impressed by the glory of the city, you know, because the city shared in the glory of God. And it was, it was expressed by radiant light shining for her. 
it says in verse 12, she had a great and high wall. Um, I'm not going to get into all the dimensions and, you know, this cubics and that. And I'm not going to get into all that because we'll, we'll be here forever. All right. If you guys are more interested in that, Pastor John has a, has a, a connect group on the book of Revelations. And I'm sure, you know, if you know Pastor John, he, he gets into it. Um, but real quick, it says the great and high wall. The wall was this, this wall around the city is not needed for defense. Okay, let's just get that out the way. It's not needed for defense. You know, the, the New Jerusalem doesn't have to defend itself against anybody because because there are no more enemies. The enemy's been defeated at this point. But the Great and High Wall gave the city definition and shows that that some will be excluded, and we just talked about that in verse eight. Some will be excluded. Excluded. Excuse me. It talks about twelve gates, and written on them were the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. This means. The names of the tribes on the gates communicate the unity and heritage that the people of God have with Israel. And it also shows that God will never forget Israel. He will never forget the tribes of Israel, which tells me that when God makes a covenant with us, that is eternal. It is eternal because God made a covenant with Abraham before they were even called Israelites, before they were even called Jews. He made a covenant with Abraham. And said, your, your, your descendants will go on for eternity. And it's proven right here in the book of Revelations, right? And it says in verse 14, the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The foundations, the foundations are an eternal testimony to the apostles, right? And it's, it's, it, it attests to their permanent place in God's plan. Um, it isn't, if it, if it isn't built on the foundations of the apostles, it isn't a right place for God's people to be because the apostles, they spread the gospel. You, myself, we were all here because the apostles obeyed the lamb. They obeyed their Messiah and they spread his gospel to the ends of the earth. And so it is very fitting that this new Jerusalem is laid on the foundations of this, but Remember, it says that Jesus is the cornerstone, the most important foundation, all right? When you build a building, you got to have a cornerstone, and that's that stone that everything else is built around. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Ephesians 2.20 says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So moving on, you know, Verses 15 and 17 talk about the dimensions of the city. We're not going to get into that. Um, 18 through 21 talks about the beauty of all. Uh, we're not going to get really too much into that. Um, says the construction of its walls was like Jasper. When we read, a, when it talks about Jasper and pure gold and all kinds of precious stones, we, we should take these as literal representations. All right. They express the realities of another world. You know, we, we, we gain a, a brief glimpse of what John saw by the way he writes. But, we, but at the same time, we can't even begin to imagine the fullness of this site of the New Jerusalem. All right. It talks about sapphire and jasper, all these stones and some of those stones I couldn't even really pronounce right. Right. Because they're beyond our understanding. The, uh, the identifying all these stones is really difficult, um, but the impression is of, of unending, of staggering beauty that's going to be all around us. And if, if the dimensions and the description seem confusing or impossible, there, there are two main principles to keep in mind of why all this seems very, very confusing. First, we must understand that, 
the ideas that are communicated in the details, right? Beauty, glory, splendor, and all those type of words, right? That's really what we need to focus on. And then the second thing we must understand that this is a city whose architect, its chief maker is God himself. Okay. Hebrews 11, 10 says, for he, he waited for the city, which was, which has foundations, whose builders and maker is God, whose building and maker is God. We should expect, we should expect that, that all of this is going to be beyond our comprehension because I don't want to serve a God that I can understand because if I can understand and I can make sense of what God does, then I guess I'm as good as God. I prefer a God that is beyond my comprehension, right? When we read this Bible, there are things that sometimes are beyond our comprehension. We don't understand, but that's, the, that's what makes this so amazing because God wants to reveal things to us, right? He wants to reveal things to us. You know, in the garden, God said, you should not eat from the tree of the, 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 the fruit of the of knowledge of good and evil. It's not that he didn't want them to have the knowledge. It's that he wanted to be the one to reveal the knowledge to them. But Adam and Eve, they wanted to take their own way, like we all do. They wanted to find their own way to knowledge. Okay, so when we read this stuff, if you're trying to find your own way, you're reading it wrong. We need to read these scriptures through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? It may still not make sense. However, God can still bring truths even if they don't make sense to us, because that's the powerful, unexplainable God that I serve. Amen. The unexplainable God that we all serve. But here's what's so amazing. Verse 22, it says, but I saw no temple in it, right? In the ancient world, um, if you had a great city, it was unthinkable to have a city that didn't have multiple temples and places of worship for all the various gods and blah, 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 blah. Even now you come to any city, you're going to find a church, right? There's going to be a first Bible Baptist faith church of Ebenezer, whatever, and every, every other corner, right? But here there's going to be no temple. Okay. There's no temple in it. Why? Because the Lord God almighty and the lamb are its temple. See so here, the temple was, was, was not removed, but it was expanded. The entire place is a temple. Everything and every place is holy, and it's, a, it's, it's the dwelling place of God. So we don't have to, in the New Jerusalem, we don't have to go to church every Sunday. We're going to have church wherever we are standing, wherever we are standing, Right? And I know Joe's disappointed because he's trying to get a free gift every single Sunday, but we ain't going to have that. We don't have to worry because God is always going to be around us. See, before Jesus, the temple was, was a prophecy of things to come, right? The, the, the temple of Jerusalem, it represented what was going to come eventually, right? And now today, as we, we are God's temple. We are his temple. But in the millennium, the temple... We'll just the idea of a temple will be like a, a memorial, a thing of the past, because the temple is going to be everywhere. Wherever we are, we're going to be worshiping the Lord. There is no set place of worship. There's no set time of worship. Everywhere we are, we can worship the Lord. There'll be no need for sun or the moon because, because, because again, this reminds us of a place of pure worship. 
the things we use to help us worship and but often ends up, end, ends up distracting us you know in worship will be of no longer use buildings and, and and music systems listen we have an amazing worship team amazing worship team at fusion church right but all the all the things they use the the the, the gifts and talents they have the instruments you know listen i don't understand the technology i don't understand the things in the ears like i don't i don't i don't get it right they understand it but all that's going to be gone we're going to have no no need for all of that and the worship is going to be a thousand times more dynamic. Why? Because we're going to be standing in the literal presence of the Lord wherever we're at. Our, our focus is not going to be on systems. Our focus is not going to be on, on, on drums and, and keyboards and guitars. It's not. It's going to be totally on the person who we worship. That's why it's going to, that's what it's going to be about. The person, the person who we worship, the Lord God Almighty, the Lamb. Jesus Christ, right? In heaven, none of our joy, beauty, or knowledge will be based on created things, but only on the creator. By faith, but listen, but we can have that now. We can have that now. I would argue, right? And Doug, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but sometimes when we've had worship, I feel that sometimes some of the most dynamic worship we've had when it's one one person on a guitar and it's simple, just broken down, just basic, just worship. We don't need the lights. We don't need the, the, the smoke machines. We don't need all that stuff, you know, and it's great and it's dynamic and we can definitely come into the presence of God by that. But for me personally, you know, take it or leave it. When we have Wednesday morning worship and it's just Pastor Jose and, and someone on the keys, and it's really, really simple. Come on, how how dynamic is that? You know, so simple, stripped down, down to the down to the core of what we are, and we're just worshiping. We're not trying to put on a show. We're just trying to worship. It says the Lamb is its light, and the light speaks of joy, and the Scriptures light and joy go together. Light speaks of beauty, because without light there is no beauty, and light speaks of knowledge, because in heaven. We will all know him as he knows us. So as I begin to close, brothers and sisters, verse 24 says, the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor to it. So who are these kings of the earth? Who are they? Now, theologians have questioned this forever. I'm not going to try to make sense of it. But I believe this is saying that any and all rulers, anyone else, anyone else that has any kind of uh, 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 reputation, no matter who it is, at the end of the age, they will, they will bring everything they are, all their glory, all their honor. They will bring it to the Lord and they will lay it at the feet of Jesus because there will be no more kings, just one king. There'll be no more rulers, just one ruler, the king of kings and the Lord of lords who is in triumph. There'll be no more enemies, no nothing else to get in the way. And we will be able to live in the continual presence, the, 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 and it's not going to be figurative. It's not going to be, you know, I believe we're going to be able to just see and walk with him everywhere we are. We're going to always be in his presence. And what can we do when we sit in his presence? Worship. Worship. And some people may think, like, oh, it's going to be boring. All we're going to do is worship. Why not? Why not? What else you got to do in eternity? 
you ain't gonna have no job. You know what I'm saying? You ain't got you ain't got to you know punch in and punch out nine to five. Why not spend your eternity worshiping your creator? Because there's other people who did not turn to their creator. And it says they are burning in the lake of fire and brimstone. But we are going to be in eternity. We are going to be in the new Jerusalem. Will there be no more tears, no more sadness, no more sickness. And we get to be with our father. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you, Lord, for, for the truths of your word, Father, that you give us something in this book of Revelation that a lot of times can be scary, Father, but we have the promise, we have the assurance, Father, that we will spend eternity with you in your new Jerusalem, your holy city, Father, continually in your presence, Father. We don't have to worry about sickness. We don't have to worry about pain. We don't have to worry about tears, Father, because you've taken care of all of that. So, Father, we thank you, Father. We thank you in advance, Father, for that, Lord. Lord, I pray as, as my brothers and sisters, as we're going into this, this, this uh, another crazy weekend of Fusion Church with Freedom Conference and then followed up by our, our, our Sunday service, Lord, that, Father, you will be in it, Father, that we will not lose sight of why we do what we do. We will not lose sight of the reason that we serve you, Father. We will not lose sight of the lives that are going to be changed this weekend, Lord God. Father, I pray that you continue to allow us to be your hands and feet as we do your work in South Jersey, in New Jersey, in the, in the United States, and, the, and the, to the ends of the earth, Father. We praise you, Lord, for what you were doing. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.